Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. We are through one week of the Virginia Tech season, a week that maybe most people didn't expect to end up in a Virginia Tech loss, but nonetheless, that's where we are. I am Andrew Alex, a sports reporter slash radio host slash gopher at ESPN Blacksburg, 93.1 in the New River Valley. Alongside me, from a number of different websites, namely the Tech Lunch Fail, Tim Thomas's brainchild. We have Mike McDaniel from also the Basketball Conference Podcast. Mike, how are you this evening? Andrew, recording late here on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. Little week one recap, week two preview action. Let's get weird, buddy. Yeah, well, I, Mike, I'm not going to lie to you. I went to Champs and Sharkies and back to Champs before this. So that's where we're at here in beautiful downtown Blacksburg, Virginia. But all the way from the 757 is staving off a hurricane. The former tech sideline beat writer, Ricky LeBlue of the LeBlue Review. Ricky, you staying safe down there? Yeah, I'm uh, chugging rum and coke out of a cookout cup. So that, that explains our hurricane prep down here in Hampton Roads. And... That's ideal regardless of what it is. <laughs> so, boys, let's get to business. Virginia Tech, favorites on the road, Boston College, Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. They come up short. So much to talk about here. But to start us off, from both of you, I want one word to tell me about your feelings after the Hokies opening game. Mike, you go first. Surprise. Um, now it's not necessarily a surprise to me that they lost the game. It's more of a surprise in how they lost, right? Um, did not expect Ryan Willis to turn the football over four times. That's been pretty uncharacteristic of him. It's a reason why he won the starting job. It's a reason why, you know, I I think Tech's offense, especially towards the end of last year, started clicking, right? Um, you know, Ryan Willis is taking care of the football, uh, he was distributing it to many of his newfound playmakers um, a year ago. You know, Trey Turner, the emergence of him, you know, a big reason why he was able to, you know, come onto the scene and kind of make an impact late last year was because Ryan Willis was able to get him the football, um, you know, without much trouble. And we didn't see that uh, on Saturday at all. You know, we saw issues abound for the Virginia Tech offense. Um you know, obviously, Willis's three crucial interceptions that he threw, two of them were in the end zone. He had that fumble deep in his own territory. The Hezekiah Grimsley fumble was not good either. Um, it was just a really, really rough afternoon 
for Virginia Tech, and it had shades and made me reminisce on the 2016 Tennessee game at the Battle of Bristol uh, that I was at, and it was one of those games where you felt like Virginia Tech played well enough to win if they took care of the football, and unfortunately on Saturday they didn't. So I'd say surprise because of how they lost. Ricky, what say you? I'm going to go with deflating. I mean, we've spent the last, I don't know, month or so talking about how the team chemistry around this around this uh, program has gotten a lot better. Uh, Ryan Willis was going to be entering his fifth year as a, as a college quarterback in his second year. Um, really as a, as a significant player on the team. And um, th- there was actually reason for optimism. And uh, they just completely fell flat on their face. Ryan Willis's um, penchant for turnovers really reared its ugly head. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense could not get stops when they needed them, uh, even though they played a lot better in the second half. Um, so I, I think deflating is the word because Tech really should have won this game. And they should have started out 1-0 in the ACC. And instead, they're starting out 0-1 with a team coming to town that they that they lost to pretty embarrassingly last year. Yeah, no, and for me, and it's not one word, but I can cheat when I make up the games. It's a oh, good lord! <laughs> Sorry, oh, man. All oh, right, come on. Uh, <laughs> what's the word like? Juvenile and anti-juvenile. The guys that you expected, right? You got Ryan Willis, your redshirt senior quarterback, the guy who, on the offensive side of the ball, has played the most games of any of the Hokies, especially if you count his experience that they had over at the Big 12 in Lawrence, Kansas with the Jayhawks. Granted, that wasn't a great experience, but nonetheless, he comes in after an above-average season last year where he didn't turn the ball over much. He flashed his arm, and he ends up being, give or take, the reason they lost the game. It's a, it's a harsh evaluation, but it's the truth. The Hokies don't turn the ball over four times that game they win the game. They seem to be a superior team, but nonetheless, they seem they couldn't help themselves. And that applies to Hezekiah Grimsley too. Despite the great game he had as a receiver, fumbling that punt, inexcusable. So you look at guys on the other side, younger guys, Tavion Robinson, Caleb Smith, some of the young guys in the defensive blind who played far better than we could have expected. But ultimately, the guys who you expected to lead the team are the ones that let them down. But let's talk about what you saw out of Ryan Willis. Mike, overall, what would you grade that performance? It can't be anything better than like a C minus, right? Um, And, you know, if he cuts down on those four turnovers that he had, you know, we're talking about this performance in a much different light, I think. Um, Throws for over 300 yards, nearly 350 yards, Um, you know, bunch of touchdown passes, but when you turn the ball over four times, you have three interceptions, you have that one fumble. It's really hard to grade this other than anything better than a C minus. I mean, it was just a really disappointing performance from Ryan Willis. They need better out of their quarterback. It led a lot of people to wonder whether or not this offense is better suited for a guy like Hendon Hooker. Um, the play calling was, was questionable at times. We'll get into that in a bit. Um, you know, just a tendency down the stretch to just not really – show, you know, any sort of just attention, you know, I, I think the attention to detail to, to clock management and, you know, just knowing the situation. I just thought the situational play calling, we've seen it be an issue before. It was an issue again on Saturday uh, in the fourth quarter when Virginia Tech was down a couple scores. And, you know, overall, though, getting back to Ryan Willis, 
you know, he did make some good plays, made, made a couple of big time throws across the middle of the field, um, you know, fitting it into tight windows. And the kid's a gunslinger, right? And it's, you know, scared money don't make money, right? And we saw, we saw both sides of that coin on Saturday. We saw what good can come out of it with some of the touchdown passes he threw and, and some of the plays that he made from the pocket. And then we saw, obviously, the bad side of that with him walking onto his primary read, not looking off at the defender, um, you know, not checking down. You know, the things that he struggled with last year, he didn't really seem to improve on, at least in the opener. Um, and, and that's troubling for Virginia Tech, especially as they play better defenses here uh, throughout the rest of the season. So. I, I can't grade it anything better than a C minus, to be honest with you, Andrew. Ricky, the trolls on the internet, man, and they're quick to react, but a lot of calls to see Ryan Willis benched. Obviously, he did throw three picks. He did not play the best game of his life. He did show flashes. The coach is unwilling to test Hendon Hooker, unwilling to test Quincy Patterson. Do you think that's more of a testament to the coach's confidence in Willis or their lack of confidence in the latter two? I think it's probably their their lack of confidence in Hennon Hooker or Quincy Patterson. I mean, Quincy Patterson played in four games last year, and I think he threw one pass, and it was an incompletion. Uh, Hendon Hooker was basically on his way out after last season, and, and because he didn't have any good offers, he's back in the fold. Um, Ryan Willis basically won this job by default. He's a high-risk, high-reward player, uh, and we saw that on his full display against Boston College. Uh, Quincy Patterson... If you put him in the game, and the same goes with Hendon Hooker, you have to completely transform the offense that you're running. You have to become a strictly RPO offense almost. Uh, you have to boil everything down to one read or get or run uh, because those guys simply have not advanced to the point where they're capable of going from progression to progression. And obviously it seems like Ryan Willis isn't capable of that either, considering, as you mentioned, Mike, he, he locked on to his primary guy again and again and again. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. Um, but I do think it's because their lack of confidence in, in Willison, or excuse me, in Hooker and Patterson. Uh, and unfortunately, Virginia Tech fans are stuck with what they've got right now. They're going to have to live or die based upon Ryan Willis's arm. And uh, on Saturday, they died. And that's absolutely right. And Ricky, to your point, you look at Willis and you saw the flashes. You saw the deep ball to Grimsley, the play in the end zone to Caleb Smith where he looked back towards that right side of the end zone and put the ball in maybe not a perfect place, but a, a place where Smith could make the play to extend his reach, grab the ball and get it. That's what you look for out of a college quarterback. In terms of Anthony Brown on the other side, he got a lot more of those breaks than you would expect. And we talked a lot about Brown. Mike, did the Virginia Tech defense screw up or did Anthony Brown play the game of his life? <laughs> a little bit of both. I mean, Anthony Brown is a guy who I probably didn't give enough credit to in the preview. Um, you know, it's easy to say after he has a performance where he plays as well as he did. But, you know, Anthony Brown has shown flashes before where, you know, I was critical of him in our preview is that he's had his best performances of his career against defenses that really haven't been all that good. And maybe you put Virginia Tech yeah, and maybe you put Virginia Tech in that category, right? Because Virginia Tech had a terrible defense last year. Um, but with that being said, Virginia Tech's defense, I thought, played a lot better on Saturday, especially in the second half. But 
The problem with that statement is that Anthony Brown did all of his damage in the first half. He threw for nearly 300 yards, hit on a couple of big passes, especially in the first quarter. Uh, secondary looked lost from the outset. Uh, the pass rush wasn't there. Again, both of these things improved throughout the game, but it wasn't the start that you wanted from the defense or the offense, obviously, with the turnovers from Ryan Willis and then, you know, the lack of a pass rush, which we, we kind of chronicled uh, in the preview. We knew that it was going to be an issue for Virginia Tech this year, or, or at least a potential issue with all the young guys they have on the roster. Uh, we saw that again on Saturday with, you know, it essentially playing out how we thought it would, especially early in the game. Just didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I was impressed with how they were able to bottle up the run. That was impressive. But, um, you know, they let Anthony Brown break loose. And that's something that I thought they could get away with. And apparently they couldn't. So uh, back to the drawing board. And, and, you know, we can't take these quarterbacks, especially in the ACC, lightly. I mean, Anthony Brown is one of those guys who, you know, as a passer, he's been relatively efficient across his career. But, you know, he's been uneven, right? He's been inconsistent. And I think that. You know, when looking at Anthony Brown and, and, you know, it can just kind of be a, it can be a testament, an example for the Hokies to take a look at moving forward with some guys that they have on the rest of their schedule. Guys like Sam Howell at UNC, who's got a lot more upside than Anthony Brown, but he's going to be a true freshman they'll be, placed, they'll be playing against later in the year. Um, you know, you look at a guy, you know, at Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett, who hasn't really been all that good. Uh, throughout his career, he's been a bit uneven. And maybe that's a better example and a better comparison to Anthony Brown. So you can't take these types of quarterbacks lightly because if you don't get a pass rush going and, you know, your secondary falls asleep, these guys are still quarterbacks in the ACC and they can make you pay. And I think we saw that, especially in the first half on Saturday. Yeah. And Ricky, speaking of secondaries falling asleep, man, I mean, the secondary at times played well, but especially in that first half, you saw guys like Jovan Quillen, a guy who's supposed to be one of the leaders on that defense, blow coverages, get beat, and it ends up costing the Hokies. You were not one who was very high on the secondary going in. How are you feeling after seeing that performance, letting Anthony Brown beat him? I'm feeling, I think I'm feeling pretty good in what I thought coming into the season. Um, I mean, look, Caleb Farley played better than I expected. Uh, I think Caleb Farley can actually be – a um, maybe an average corner this year in the ACC, which is far better than what he was last season. Uh, and maybe he can be more given his physical ceiling. The problem lies in the fact that Jovan Quillen is a special teams player. And we've known this from the get-go. He's much better when he's covering kicks and punts. Uh, he's not really suited to play against guys in the ACC in terms of cover corner. That's not really what he's built to do. Uh, Jermaine Waller also looked lost. I think he gave up a couple big plays. Uh, they just don't have anyone opposite of Caleb Farley that can give them even average level production. Uh, and, and that's really what's going to break their back, it seems, because, and I wanted to get to this because we have to, all three of us, we have to admit we were dead wrong in the last episode, right? We all said if Virginia Tech bottles up Anth or um, A.J. Dillon, which they basically did, he didn't rush for 100 yards, Tech wins the game. Well, guess what? Tech kept them under 100 yards and they lose. So I think we, you know, all have to admit that. But I still don't even think Anthony Brown's that good. I just think the Virginia Tech secondary is not very good. Um, and to be honest, Anthony Brown should have had another touchdown because Reggie Floyd blew a coverage when they were playing cover two, and Reggie was able to dislodge it at the goal line. So this secondary, even even their most experienced guy in Reggie Floyd, they have some serious flaws and. No matter how good the, the linebacking group is, which Rayshard Ashby was ACC Linebacker of the Week, 
um, it doesn't really matter if the guys on the back end are just going to continue getting the top blown off because we've seen it time and time again. We saw it last year. We saw it on Saturday versus Boston College. That's how this defense tends to give up yards. Yeah, and to talk about Ashby, obviously a very good performance. I just rewatched the condensed version of the game right before we recorded this, and you see time and time again Ashby just getting in there and, and making stops as an individual, forcing negative plays for Boston College. And you talked about that run defense, Ricky, and for me, that's got to be a huge positive. I mean, you look at a Virginia Tech team that last year was in the bottom 10 in run defense in the entire FBS. That's like lower than 120 out of 130. Yeah. They hold Boston College to 3.3 yards per carry. If you And that's an elite running back in A.J. Dillon, by the way, spearheading that Boston College running game. You hold teams as a whole to 3.3 yards per carry, just based on last year's numbers, that would put you in the top 10 in rushing defense. Now, you're not quite that elite Clemson, but you're top of the ACC otherwise. And for a group of defensive linemen filled with mostly guys playing their first game, and that includes Pollard and Kendricks and Crawford, who may be a junior, but it was his first Division One game as he was a JUCO transfer. That defensive line, who we expected to be the true weakness of this team, didn't disappoint, at least, right? Not a terrible game from that young group. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was actually kind of disappointed in Dax Hollyfield. I mean, four tackles is just not going to cut it when you're playing an ACC game. I think Rayshard kind of covered for him a bit with his performance, but I think Dax needs to show up a bit bigger if he's going to be a leader on this team. But, yeah, I don't think the defensive line played uh, particularly bad, but the problem is, is that, like you mentioned earlier, none of them really generated a consistent pass rush. And with Taiwan Garbutt going out earlier in the game on that blindside block or crackback block, I mean, it's just they don't have the depth uh, or really the the experience there at the defensive line at any four positions when they're going to be able to to make up for a guy going out. So uh, I, I thought the defensive line played relatively well, but again, when you when your quarterback turns the ball over a ton and your secondary just gives up big play after big play. Uh, it's really not going to help. Now, also, I will mention Virginia Tech on the third and long there at the end of the game where they needed to stop. They gave up a run right up the middle and gave up the first down conversion, and that's absolutely horrible for a team that really needs a stop in that position. For you to allow them to run for a first down there, that's really, really bad, and I don't really know what to peg it on. I know Bud Foster said after the game that it was someone jumping out of their gap, but um, that's just that's really, really poor. And, and Tech's got to be better than that. Yeah, man. And when you look at the play of Dylan, you know, it wasn't overwhelming throughout the game. But when they needed him most on that last play, he flashed his superiority, essentially. And at the end of the day, that's what Boston College needed to win when they needed to win it. So at the end of the day, you're absolutely correct. Turning back to the offensive line, a little disappointing. You saw Christian Derrishaw miss assignments. T.J. Jackson seemed to just be a step behind. For an offensive line without Brock Hoffman, with apparently Zachariah Hoyt injured now, does this become a position group of concern for the Hokies, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I was expecting the offensive line to play a lot better than it did on Saturday. Um, now, the, the thing that troubled me most was you mentioned T.J. Jackson being a step behind. He had a couple of pre-snap penalties that were troubling. Just 
it was clear that he was making his first start. I think that's the way to put it. Um, and I don't want to pin it all on him. I mean, there was some good and some bad. You mentioned Christian Derrissaw missing a block, that crucial block that, you know, Ryan Willis, first of all, they overloaded the left side of the defensive line on that fumble. Just and threw it off. Yeah, and Ryan Willis, he, you know, you could see him check pre-snap to – um, I believe it was McLe- – it might have been Keyshawn King. It was either Keyshawn King or McLeese he had on his left, and he checked out of that to make sure that, you know, the protection was set up on that left side of the offensive line. The problem with that is Derrishaw missed a block, and they were overloaded on that side anyway. So Ryan Willis thought he had protection there. He, he A, misread it, and B, um, didn't get one of the blocks that he needed that was crucial on that play. So he ends up fumbling it at a really bad time. And that was kind of the highlight, right, of, the, the you know, everything that went wrong in, in one play. You know, if you had to draw one up, that was it. Well, it feels like everything that went wrong happened at the most inopportune time. You were either turning it over within your own 20 or turning it over on, <laughs> on their 20, right? It was, right. You're going to score and you screw it up or – you turn it over in the worst possible place and you give them a 17 yard drive and you give them a 28 yard drive. And at the end of the day for a defense that as much as we criticize them only let up like 79 yards in the second half credit to Bud's foster on the adjustments. But at the end of the day, you let up 350 some odd yards in the first half too little too late. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I think the defense, you know, it's one of those situations too, where like, they didn't play well at all in the first half, but they were given, I mean, there were a lot of short fields given up, obviously, with the turnovers. And, um, you know, Hezekiah Grimsley, that fumble was really crucial. Ryan Woolworth's fumbling, giving him a short field. Like, there were there were times where the defense's back was against the wall, too. And sometimes they reacted well, and sometimes they didn't. And, you know, for Virginia Tech to only give up 79 yards in the second half, not fold up you know, zero yards given up in the third quarter. So it was really just 79 yards in the fourth. I mean, that was, that was a big deal too. Um, I thought the defensive line too played okay in the, in the second half for all the issues they had in the first half um, with run gaps and the pass rush being an issue. You know, I thought they did a pretty good job overall in the second half, kind of making adjustments and not folding up, which is important because we saw that a lot last year where, you know, they'd get down, there would be a couple of big plays that an opposing team would make and you'd see the defense kind of shut down. We didn't see that on Saturday. In fact, we saw resiliency, especially in the second half, you know, that third down run at the end, notwithstanding Ricky, you know, obviously that was a crucial play in the game, but I thought overall, you know, Virginia Tech's defense in the second half played well. And I think that's something to, to kind of monitor here is how the defense reacts to poor plays. Do they bounce back? Do they not? Because more often than not a year ago, we saw Virginia Tech's defense really, you know, struggle to stay consistent, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, this team in the third quarter last year was notoriously awful, both on offense and defense. It seemed like they could never make the right adjustment out of halftime. They always came out flat. And, and the third quarter was really killed them in m- many of their games last year. But we did see some resiliency in the second half but on, on both sides of the ball, and I think that's encouraging. And, you know, Trey Turner put something out after the game on Twitter saying that he loves this team, and I think that that's a testament to this team's fight and, and willingness to, to actually just not pack it in and, and, and not just give up, which it seemed like we saw multiple times last year on both sides of the ball. So – you know, obviously Trey Turner is going to tweet that because, you know, he's becoming a leader on this team and he's doing his best to rally his guys. But I do think that there is something different about this team in the sense that 
they are, you know, tr- actually putting forth the effort to make that comeback, however improbable it is. And we all have to realize that this team's extremely young. I mean, I've been telling people since 2016 that this team really wasn't going to be where Justin Fuente wanted it until 2020. You consider all the positions he's had to restock, all the all the guys that he's had to develop. Most of the guys that he's starting this year, maybe not most, but a good portion of them, are in their first year as starters, or they have very limited starting experience. So he's dealing with a very young group. This group uh, is unfortunately being you know put in the fire pretty quickly. And they're being put to the test fast. And, you know, I think we saw on Saturday that they just weren't ready for it. And I think that this year has the potential to be kind of a rocky year again. I don't think it'll be as bad as last year. But I I think if Tech can show these, you know, these signs of resiliency and these signs of that that never give up attitude in the second half, I think that there are still reasons for optimism moving forward. Yeah, and, and, and to your point when you talk about Fuente, let's talk about the coaching staff for one minute before we move on. Mike, you penned an article on the TechLunchPail.com questioning Fuente, Corn on the offensive side of the ball, whether their play calling scheme fits their personnel. Elaborate on that and give some examples as to exactly how that's illustrated in the Boston College experience. Yeah, so go check out that article if you haven't already. Um, Ricky, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier um, regarding specifically the play calling in regards to if Virginia Tech were to switch quarterbacks. Well, that was kind of the baseline of my article, right? It's if Virginia Tech were to move away from Ryan Willis, what would that look like? And what, you know, how would the offense change? It's not as easy as just replacing the quarterback like people were suggesting on Twitter on Saturday. Especially with the guys that they have behind him. Exactly. So it was a lot of armchair quarterbacking, right, on uh, on Saturday afternoon, which I understand people are frustrated and they should be, right? Ryan Willis has four intercept or three interceptions and one fumble. The four turnovers he had, you know, they're unacceptable from a senior quarterback, right? Um, so I totally get that. But I basically outlined the fact that, look, if Virginia Tech were to switch quarterbacks, given what they have behind Ryan Willis, it wouldn't be just as easy as saying, okay, next guy up, you're in. The play calling would have to totally change. Now, you know, Brad Cornelson's had a tendency over the, the course of his time at Virginia Tech, for better or worse, to call a lot of spread rushing offensive concepts, right? I think that's a good idea considering that your offensive line has shown a complete and total inability to run block over the last few years, right? So I get that. It takes a little bit of pressure off of your offensive line in that spread rush option scheme. The only problem with that is you have a quarterback who while he picked up a lot of third down, crucial third down runs in the game with his feet on Saturday, he's not a running quarterback. It's not his strength, right? He's a guy who's a gunslinger. Yeah, he, got, like, he really came through on those third down runs. To the point where you're, you're questioning, why can't they convert otherwise? Because this is not the guy that you want to be doing that. You don't have Michael Vick back there. but Exactly. Time and time again, Ryan Willis was the guy converting it on his feet, putting his body at risk nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty. Yeah, he looked pretty good running the football, but he is not—he's not fleet of foot. We'll say he's not—he's not the fastest guy on the field. Um, so you'd have to completely change the play calling, and I think, you know, that kind of leads into, you know, what we saw on that final scoring drive for Virginia Tech on Saturday. Like they needed to score quickly; they were down two touchdowns, and. You saw Brad Cornelson uncomfortable with the play calling, right? He would call 
a handful of passes, but there was no sense of urgency. There were a lot of runs mixed in there that didn't make a whole lot of sense. You're against the clock anyway. You're down two scores. You only have two timeouts because you wasted one uh, before having a pre-snap penalty in the third quarter. Uh, there was going to be a delay of game there, so you had to burn a timeout unnecessarily there. Um, and you know what? It's one of those situations where if you're Brad Cornelson and you're uncomfortable with the play calling for your quarterback, you have to wonder if, A, you need to change the offense around the skill set of your players, or B, you have to change your quarterback, right, to fit your scheme. It has to be one of those two things. And Virginia Tech's at a fork in the road right now where, you know, they either, A, have to tailor the scheme more towards like an air raid type offensive system where you're throwing the ball 45, 50 times because that's the skill set of Ryan Willis in this receiving core. The, they the call skill set just like where he came from exactly and you know you got a skill set for this offense that you know fits that big 12 air raid type passing attack and i think that ryan wells is perfect for that scheme but if you continue to run you know these spread rushing option concepts where you want your quarterback to be a decision maker in the running game and be a guy to tuck it and run you know, Ryan Willis is not your guy. He's going to pick up two, three, four yards of carry. And we saw that in some crucial third down runs on Saturday, which was great. But, you know, your ceiling is limited in the running game with Ryan Willis as your quarterback. And if you can't get a ton out of your your running backs and you're going to continue to call this type of offense, it really makes you wonder, you know, where the Hokies go from here offensively. So just a lot of different things to consider from play calling to personnel to who your quarterback's going to be. I think Virginia Tech needs to make some decisions moving forward. And I think Ryan Wills is going to be the guy. So I think it really just needs to be a tailoring tailoring of the play calling to his strengths, which we haven't seen done by this offensive staff in the past in the best manner possible. And I think they need to change things up, look in the mirror, and try to figure out ways to make Ryan Wills more successful moving forward. This offense was really tailor-made for Gerard Evans, which I think is why he was so good in 2016, he was able to make those decisions on the read option. He was able to plow forward through through the tackles for, for big gains and consistent gains. And he was able to just make those one-on-one throws on the fades. Ryan Willis is not that guy. And I'm actually happy that you mentioned kind of that, that spread passing air raid style. And it doesn't even need to be a tempo because I don't think that that's really what Virginia Tech's looking for either. But it's not just playing to his strengths. It would be playing to the team's strengths. We've seen that this Tech receiving core is actually pretty deep, and it's pretty talented. Caleb Smith, Hezekiah Grimsley, if Trey Turner's healthy, he'll be out there, obviously. Damon Hazleton, we have to see if he comes back because he's obviously dealing with the hamstring injury and didn't even play versus Boston College. But there is a cadre of really young, talented receivers, and I think it'd be better to get them on the field rather than putting someone out like Dalton Keene, who as good of a blocker as he may be, and as good of a team leader as he may be, he doesn't really give you much in the pass game, and it's really better off putting someone like James Mitchell in his spot who showed what he can do with, with, uh, going out in there running routes. Yeah, now we saw Mitchell create separation, make that touchdown catch, and I think just on a surface, on the most basic level, what you saw out of the Virginia Tech offense was you see an offensive line that it's young, it has flaws. It's not perfect. You have guys on an offensive line that might not be able to make that kickout block quick enough at this point in their career to get to like block out a top tier ACC defensive end. But you see in, in Ryan Willis, you have a quarterback who clearly we see he has flaws, but play to his strengths. He's got the big arm. And in the wide receiving core, we talked about Turner, Grimsley, and Hazleton. And the best news that we saw 
on Saturday was that Smith and Robinson are right there with them. Yeah. My boat's on the ground telling me that Hazleton could have played. They took it easy because they were that confident with Smith. So maybe you play to the strengths, but, you know, after an entire summer practice of running that RPO with Willis, maybe it's too late. Last thoughts on that? I mean, if you're if you're a competent offensive staff, you have to realize that realize if you're beat. And I think right now, Brad Cornelson and his guys have to realize Willis is not the guy to run. Like Mike said, this kind of spread run rushing offense that's based on a lot of read options. Uh, And and look, they can't even run the speed option. And and that was a kind of a staple of this offense we saw with Gerard Evans and Josh Jackson before Jackson's leg got broken, that they were even run speed options on third down. You can't do that with Ryan Willis because he doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the decision-making ability. So cut the crap, stop, stop with the, the, the read option stuff, stop with the power options where you've got Keen coming from the weak side and, and, and coming to the other side of the offense, spread, spread it out, force defenses to cover a ton of field, and let your athletes make plays on the outside because that's where this team actually has some real talent. Yeah, the best coaches, you know, in college football, they make their hay, you know, building their scheme around the players that are on the roster. And on a much lesser scale, I'm going to refer to Georgia Tech here, right? Because Georgia Tech is a team that, you know, under Jeff Collins doesn't want to run the option anymore on offense. But what did we see against Clemson? While we didn't see a traditional line them up under center option attack like they had under Paul Johnson, you know, we saw option concepts out of the shotgun, out of the pistol, which, look, Georgia Tech doesn't want to run that moving forward with Jeff Collins. That's clear. But Jeff Collins and his coaching staff, they're aware of what they have on the roster and what is present currently on the offensive side of the football and where their strengths are going to be this year, just based off of the personnel that they're inheriting, right? Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson need to understand, like you mentioned, Ricky, like you mentioned, Andrew, that Ryan Willis is a guy fit to throw the ball all over the field. That is where his strengths lie. He is not a running quarterback. Throw the ball all over the field. You got the deepest receiving core you've had in years, five, six, seven deep. Look, Caleb Smith and Tavion Robinson, we heard a lot about Robinson in the preseason. Caleb Smith was a a pleasant surprise. We saw him obviously get the scholarship this fall, which is a big deal. So we knew that he was at least making hay and good enough to be on the roster on a, on a full-time basis from a scholarship perspective. But we didn't expect him to contribute in the way that he did on Saturday. And the fact that he was able to step in and the receivers had the success that they had, you know, even without Damon Hazleton in the fold, you know, it's going to bode well for them if he ends up suiting up this Saturday and ends up playing. Uh, we know he's closer to 100% than than some may have indicated. Um, a guy who obviously dressed out and, and could have played on Saturday and didn't. But Virginia Tech's really deep at the receiving core. So I, I think the offense needs to be tailored to the strengths of the roster and something that Brad Cornell and Justin Fuente need to take a look at here moving forward. Okay, so we we have talked at length about the Boston College game. You can't put that completely in the rear view, especially with ODU coming. But as we learned with ODU, you can't disregard ODU, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I think any, any Tech fans that were doing that have – have learned their lesson. Mike, you might have been with – actually, you might not have been there that time. But when we did our Hokie House pregame show, line from Hokie House, Paul gave us a good old – we did our picks. Anyone have ODU? No? Okay. Didn't even let us respond. And lo and behold, Virginia Tech loses to ODU last year. A ranked Virginia Tech at the time, by the way, following a big win over a ranked Florida State team. 
on Labor Day weekend. They lose by two touchdowns. The final score of that game, for those of you that want some post-traumatic stress, Old Dominion 49, Virginia Tech 35. That was the last time we saw Josh Jackson on the field for Virginia Tech. That was the last time we saw, oh gosh, on the list, Eric, not Eric Kuma, but it was a turning point. We'll get to Eric Kuma later. Trayvon Hill for the last time. You have guys on the field like Bryce Watts, Eric Kuma, Chris Cunningham, none of which are on the team right now. Obviously a terrifyingly bad upset. What could go wrong did go wrong for Virginia Tech. Give me your one takeaway from last year's game that can't be repeated in the least simplistic way possible other than don't lose. (laughs) Man, um, well, the defense is going to have to – it's going to have to not be the Swiss cheese defense, right? Like tackle in the open field, um, tackle when you have a guy corralled in the backfield. We saw a number of plays where, you know, their their quarterback was able to break out when he should have been tackled in the backfield. The running back was corralled in the backfield. He should have been brought down, wasn't, got four or five yards. Those types of plays that look like they're going to be negative plays uh, for the offense that end up being positive plays can't happen on the defensive side for Virginia Tech. Um, That was one area where the Hokies struggled last year. You can't have stupid turnovers. You can't be sloppy with the football. You can't repeat your five turnover performance we just had against Boston College. Um, ODU is not a good football team. They barely beat they barely beat an FCS team this past weekend. They're not very good. Last year's game, people forget that. Yep. Can can we talk about can we talk about how embarrassing it would have been for ODU? to lose to their crosstown FCS rival in Norfolk State in their new stadium that they just opened this year. They almost they they almost lost that game. And it was I mean it was really close. Obviously one score game. How embarrassing would that have been for them to have this brand new SB Ballard Stadium that looks really nice by the way. And then they lose to their little their little brother like god man that would have been absolutely terrible. You know, in fairness, Norfolk State has gone four and seven all of the last four. So, <laughs> oh, man. You know, that's loss number one. They're going to have to go four and six to keep pace. Um, but you look at ODU, right? ODU, not a great team last year. I think they only got two FBS wins after after Virginia Tech. Pretty embarrassing. They had two wins in the state of Virginia. Whatever Virginia Tech, whatever VMI, they did lose to Liberty last year. Um, they lose their two best players, two actually the first two players ever drafted out of ODU, O'Shane Examines, I can't even pronounce that. He's on the Giants' third-round pick. And Travis Fulgham went sixth round to the Lions. Both of them had serious games last year. Their quarterback from last year, he absolutely lit up Virginia Tech. The good news He's gone. He entered the seminary. He he and his 495 yards of passing went to seminary school. So won't have to worry about that anymore. Obviously, ODU is a bad football team. You can kind of tell at this point. But obviously a storyline for the Hokies. Eric Kuma, Chris Cunningham, two guys who were on the team last year, named game captains for the game. Kuma was ODU's leading receiver last week. What do you expect out of them? Yeah, I mean, I expect Eric Kuma to have a good game. I, Chris Cunningham kind of is what he is. Like, I, 
you know, it, uh, yeah, like he's he's a, an okay blocker, I guess, and he's a guy who's going to be like a fifth receiver, you know, sixth receiver in, in an offense. Um, you know, if you're going to spread out and throw the football, uh, he's a guy who, you know, isn't expected to make a massive impact, but he can he can catch the ball and his run after catch ability, while not great, is you know he's capable. So it's really just Eric Kuma. What do I think his impact's going to be? And, you know, I think Eric Kuma is a good receiver. Um, I think Old Dominion will try to put the football in his hands. He's undoubtedly one of the best playmakers on their offense. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are things that we know he does well and things we know that he doesn't do well. Um, he's a guy who can, you know, break things open after the catch. So you need to make sure you corral him. But at the same time, he's not a, you know, total burner or speedster, right? He's a possession receiver, especially for ODU. Um, while he might be their best receiver, he is a possession receiver. So as soon as he catches it, just make sure you take him to the ground. He's not a big, you know, if you have your arms around him, you can bring him to the ground. He's not a guy who's going to break a million tackles. Um, so just make sure you, you know, take care of business tackling in the secondary. Uh, but I expect him to play well. I don't know how many points it'll amount to for ODU. I can't guarantee you much about this Virginia Tech team this year, guys, but I can guarantee you they'll beat ODU on Saturday. This is a game that's circled on everybody's schedule, um, you know, because of the transfers, because of how much trash they've been talking, uh, because they think they're a lot better than they are. This feels like the perfect opportunity for Virginia Tech to get back in a revenge spot and, and potentially blow ODU out of the stadium. I mean, I feel like that, you know, the Hokies are due. Um, they have a lot they're playing for in this game, really for pride, for integrity. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that when talking about the context of a team like ODU, but that's kind of where we're at here. Uh, so Virginia Tech needs to play well. They need to take down guys like Eric Kuma, and they need to make sure that, quote unquote, no name guys don't go off like they did last year for ODU, because that was really disappointing. No kidding. <laughs> so it's just no kidding is all I can say about that. Um, yeah, the quarterback for ODU, Stone Smart, he's a junior college transfer, played a decent game, not too impressive, 158 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He did add 50 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Bud Foster raved about his abilities as a dual-threat quarterback. I don't think he should be too much of a threat, obviously. Mike, you chalked it up pretty well. This is a game that needs to be won. There's no way that any of us know enough about ODU because they're just not important enough that we should know enough about ODU. We said that last year. It holds true this year. You can't screw up. Ricky, before we move on to our final segment with the predictions, which Virginia Tech players on both the offense and defensive side of the ball do you think have the most to prove this Saturday at Lane Stadium? Well, uh, I think, uh, I mean, man, I feel like there's guys all over the field that really have a lot to prove. I think Ryan Willis, I think, needs to prove that he's he's a capable quarterback. Uh, in these types of games, he needs to absolutely blow out an ODU defense that gave up 21 points to Norfolk State. Uh, he needs to show that he's capable of leading an ACC-level offense and he's capable of holding on to the ball and, and not turning it over four times. And also the secondary has a lot to prove in this game. Guys like Jermaine Waller, Jovan Quillen, uh, Caleb Farley, who's probably going to be matched up on Eric Kuma. You, you, there will never be a receiver in the, that they'll face all season long that they know more about. They know every single thing about Eric Kuma. They know what he likes. They know what he doesn't like. They know how to piss him off. They know how to, to, to get under his skin. You have to get under his skin 
Obviously, you need to do it without getting a bunch of flags, and hopefully we don't see any scuffles or anything like that before this game, although it wouldn't shock me if we did. Uh, but I think that the Virginia Tech secondary needs to kind of uh, put their will on this game and, and really remind ODU who's boss in, in, in the state of Virginia. It's either the only two teams that have claim to that right now, Virginia Tech and Virginia, and ODU really <laughs> – look, I can't believe we're actually talking about this, but – Virginia Tech has gotten to a point now where a, a school that was just an FCS school a few years ago really, you know, is in a situation where Tech has to take them seriously. It's not like a, a, a VMI or a Liberty or a Furman or anything like that. Tech has to take them seriously, and I think they will. I think Tech's going to get up for this game, and I would be pretty surprised if Tech doesn't win by three or more scores. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right, and – yeah, it's amazing that we're even taking time to talk about this. Next week, we'll probably spend less time on Furman. But at the end of the day, this game is imperative. I mean, you can't return you twice in a row. I don't expect them to. I expect them to absolutely blow them out. But for me, the key is just, and I said this last week, and they didn't live up to it. It's discipline. Don't blow your coverages. In a game where you are the superior, to the far superior team, athletically, you know, these are the guys that couldn't go to Virginia Tech. It's essentially who they are. You have to, can't blow coverages, can't get off your blocks. You're at home, no pre-snap penalties. Just, it's like your walkthrough to prove that you are the team that we thought you were and that last week was maybe not an anomaly, but just the product of playing a high-quality team in Boston College. Mike, I need a like six-page in-depth report on Furman for the next week podcast. I need to know everything that they're good at. I need to know what they stink at. I need to know everything, man. I need someone to tell me what to watch for in the Furman game, okay? I, I think I'm your guy. Um, the, the only problem with that is I'm going to have to probably bet on them first, which I can promise you I've never <laughs> bet on a Furman football game. You guys know I'm a degenerate gambler. I've never bet on Furman, so I think I'm going to have to do that first before I'm able to give you like a five- to six-page research paper on the roster. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've never blacked out during a Furman game either, but I might as well do it this week. You know, <laughs> but uh, All right, trivia question before we move on. Most famous Furman professional athlete in America. Currently retired. Couldn't even tell you. I got nothing. Clint Dempsey went to Furman. Wow. American soccer player. Yep, true story. That's some random Andrew trivia. Dude, if you're every single Power 5 conference and you missed out on Clint Dempsey, you need to uh, you need to completely re- – just like those people that missed out on like Jerry Rice who went to like an FCS school. Like, come on. I mean, how do guys like that just fall between the cracks? Come on. <laughs> I have no clue. All right, let's do over-unders. Let's push it here. All right, our first over-under, unfortunately, folks at home, I forgot to tally last week's over-unders win-losses, so we'll give you a two-week total next week. But uh, Or just go over- on Twitter and tell us how wrong we were because we probably missed more than we made. Just spam me on Twitter. Tell me I'm terrible. <laughs> um, all right, over-under, Ryan Willis, two-and-a-half interception. Mike. I'm going to say under. I think he bounces back. I think he plays well. Um, I think he puts ODU in his place. And maybe that's overconfidence, but I think Tech has a lot to prove on Saturday. I think Ryan Willis has a lot to prove on Saturday. So I'm going to say under. Um, I think he may throw one interception, but I think it's going to be a nice bounce back day for him. Ricky. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. Uh, 
if he throws three or more interceptions versus Old Dominion, we have to seriously talk about changing the quarterback. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm going to go under. God willing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as you guys know, Jalen Holston hurt. He ended up getting surgery. So now it's just McLeese and the freshman Keyshawn King. Keyshawn King, we saw his spark on Saturday. He has that little boost at the end there. He led the team in rushing. He could be a big part of this game on Saturday. Boys, over under Keyshawn King, 49 and a half rushing yards. I'm going to say over. Um, I think Virginia Tech needs to establish a run. I feel like I've been saying that for like eight or nine years, but like seriously, they need to establish the run. Um, I think Keyshawn King is the first time, it's the first time in a long time we've seen a back in the Virginia Tech backfield with that kind of burst. Um, so I think Virginia Tech's going to try to maximize his skill set and do the best they can to make him the featured back here, especially with Holson out uh, for the foreseeable future. So I'm going to go over. I think this is a good opportunity for Keyshawn King on Saturday against ODU. Ricky? I'm going under because I'm a pessimist. Fair enough. I'm going to go over because hopefully they get a lead and he's a freshman, so you can't really justify taking him out despite the fact that he'd be down to one running back if he got hurt. All right. Back to our boy, the Eric Kuma. Eric Kuma, who led the Monarchs, that's their nickname, in receiving yards last week. He probably wants some revenge. He's the game captain alongside Cunningham for this. Eric Kuma, 64 and a half receiving yards. Michael? I'm going to say under um, slightly. I, I think Kuma, you know, I, I think he could have seven or eight catches. I just don't know that he's going to have a lot of big time plays, if that makes sense. I think uh, Virginia Tech will, uh, you know, like Ricky mentioned, they do not know a receiver any better on the rest of their schedule than they know Eric Kuma. Um, so this is a this is a really important game here for Virginia Tech. And I think they're able to to corral Eric Kuma and keep keep him under. Ricky. Give me the yardage again. I didn't catch that. 64 and a half. So 64 and a under. half. That's an oddly specific number. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over. I think ODU is going to have to air it out a bit. And I think Kuma is just going to get enough volume where he's able to get to that point. Yeah, no, I'm with Ricky. I think I'm not saying Kuma dominates, but he's clearly the most confident wide receiver out of that group. And ideally Virginia tech will take a lead where there might be some backups in the end, which will give him more opportunities Total knock on wood. Holy cow. But, uh, yeah. Real quick, Bobby Wilder, I'm disappointed in you. You're better than that. This The, the, the level of gamesmanship and trollery to make Eric Kuma and Chris Cunningham your game captains, come on, Bobby. I'm disappointed. That's probably how they recruited them. Like, he's probably like, oh, come get revenge against shit. <laughs> come on. Like, all right. ODU, over under, two and a half. Touchdowns. Will they score under 21 points with touchdowns or 14 points? Under. I think it's like 52 to 10. I think they blow them out. Under. Rick. I'm going to go under as well. Um, I'm not very confident in ODU's quarterback. And they don't have Travis Fogelm and Jonathan Duhart on the the team like they had last year. Uh, And I think Tech has an idea of how to stop Lala Davis. Remember, Tech was uh, really his top school. Tech did not have room to take him. Uh, he's now the starting running back for ODU. I think Tech will be able to keep him and, and ODU's receiving game a little bit under control. Yeah, confidence is killer, but I'm with you guys. I think this should be a blowout. If it's not, well, you know, Virginia Tech fandom and thus fandom of this podcast will be dwindling, so God willing, we'll win. Uh, <laughs> last one. We saw a lot of 
good stuff out of the two wide receivers, the freshman and the redshirt freshman, Tavion Robinson and Caleb Smith. Between the two of them, over under 79 and a half yards receiving combined. I'm going to say slightly under. Um, now I do think they'll both play well again. Uh, you know, Caleb uh, Caleb Smith obviously broke out and, and played very well, and he had a more featured role than we expected. But I think if Damon Hazleton plays on Saturday, I don't think we see as much of Caleb Smith as perhaps we saw in the opener. Um, but with that being said, I do think he does make an impact. I, you know, I think he and Tavion Robinson are going to be guys who are going to be featured on the offense this year. Trey Turner, of course, was a little hobbled too. So that's something to consider, even if Damon Hazleton does play, um, you know, what's Trey Turner's level of involvement. It was clear that he tweaked a hamstring there on Saturday against BC. So, you know, maybe Caleb Smith does get just as many opportunities as he did on Saturday. We'll see, but um, I'm, I'm going to say slightly under, um, but I think Virginia Tech's passing offense has a pretty good day. Uh, I'm going over as well. Uh, Damon Hazleton may not even play. And if Trey Turner plays, I don't see him playing uh, really the volume of snaps that he would need to keep Caleb Smith and Tavion Robinson out of the game. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, over. I think Tavion Robinson has another big day. I think Caleb Smith uses this as an opportunity to prove himself. Is he a rotational receiver in this group? Well, I don't expect to see too much of Damon Hazleton. He's going to get his reps, and he has an opportunity to stand out. So I think this offense is going to air it out. I don't see Justin Fuente pulling the rug under too early. He wants to prove a statement here, especially for those kids in the 757. All right, so that is our picks for the over-unders. So we are going to skip for our ACC picks every single game where they're playing an FCS team because there's no lines on that. And let's just all hope that – Except for maybe William and Mary beating UVA. Let's what a shame for gambling degenerates like Mike that he can't bet on an FCS oh, game in the wait, ACC. Wait, 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 wait! You can you can find lines. You just have to really you got to really dig. Yeah, I'm sure Mike knows where to find those I lines. Do. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, boys. Wake Forest, Rice, Wake Forest on the road at Rice Stadium. That's weird. Uh, Wake's minus nineteen. Mike, uh, Wake. Wake. Of course. <laughs> that we'll out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that actually be funny to have a, a, a bleep there. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look, first of all, if you're if you're Dave Clawson, I don't know when this game was scheduled, but you've got to be an absolute moron to go play. And in, in what's projected to be 100-degree weather in Houston, uh, you're an absolute idiot, but I'm going to go ahead and take Wake. Same. I mean, was, the line is – I can't believe they're playing at Rice Stadium. But granted, Virginia Tech plays at Old Dominion and Liberty. so uh, no But at least they're in state. I mean, you're going to Houston to play I mean, Rice? I a few years ago. I mean, come on. Come on, Wake. You're better than that. You're the Steeman Deeks, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, that's my, that's my <laughs> Okay. Um, Pitt and Ohio. Ohio travels to Hinesfield. Pittsburgh, Pitt, only a five-and-a-half-point favorite following their uh, loss to UVA. That seems a little small, but, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, weird line here. Um, Ohio is a sneaky good team. They are every year. Um, Keep an eye on this game. It could be a little bit interesting. Pittsburgh looked pretty underwhelming offensively in the opener uh, against UVA at home. That was a really disappointing performance from Kenny Pickett. I think Ohio covers here. I think Pitt ultimately comes out with the victory, but I think they can keep this thing inside a touchdown, and that's right around where that line is. So just keep an eye on this game. Um, I think Pittsburgh wins, but it's going to be close. Ricky. 
Uh, I agree with Mike. I think Ohio covers. But can you imagine if Pitt loses this game? They just gave Narduzzi an extension. What was it, the year before this this past offseason? So Pitt fans will definitely be ready with pitchforks and, and torches if they lose to Ohio. I mean, granted, they're the reigning coast champs for what that's worth. But mm-hmm. uh, no, no. If you lose to Virginia and Ohio to start the season, you're immediately on the hot seat. Just like if Justin Fuente loses to Old Dominion two years in a row, and I don't think it's going to happen, obviously, but if, God forbid, it happens, he does it two years in a row and he lost to Boston College last time, I don't care what the buyout is. You are sitting on an oven. Well, we literally can't afford the buyout. That's the issue. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, dude, you you can find some. I know there aren't many big, deep pocket people, but somebody would put up the money. Yeah, it's like paying a bazillion dollars to get that guy. <laughs> again, again, I want to be clear. I don't think that that should happen. I think Fuente is a good, a good coach. I think he's got the program going okay. But man, mm. yeah, I'd like to preface this. My pick with I'd like Ohio to win because my <laughs> Virginia's win over Pitt, but uh, I do think Pittsburgh will pull it through and cover the line. It seems like an awfully small line, despite the fact that Ohio quarterback Nathan Rourke is supposed to actually be pretty good for what that's worth. I know a couple of kids that went to Ohio. Um, all right, Syracuse at Maryland. This is an interesting one. Maryland, the two-point favorites. Josh Jackson in his first game. Granted, it was against an FCS team. 245 yards, four touchdowns. Maryland, a favorite at home, despite the fact that they have no fans at home. Is- <laughs> oh, what a dig. What a dig. I like the shot you just took. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Um, oh, man. Let's do let's do more of that moving forward. Um <laughs> Syracuse, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. Syracuse, like <laughs> Syracuse was a four point favorite like a week ago. Um, this is like swung heavily in Maryland's favor. I don't know if it's because Maryland. I is it, is it if they went over Howard that nice. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if like you know Maryland winning seventy nine nothing against Howard has something to do with it. I don't know if it's because Syracuse has a look ahead spot because they got Clemson in a week. I don't know what it is, but it's this feels like a trap. Syracuse seems like the better team on paper. This is a game when you looked at in the preseason that you didn't you didn't even consider Maryland really winning this game. So Maryland being a two point favorite seems like a trap from Vegas. I'm going Syracuse, but there seems to be a reason why they're on Maryland. So don't be surprised if this thing goes a little bit sideways for the Orange. Ricky. Yeah, it kind of reminds me when Tech was at Miami a couple years ago, and Tech entered the game as like a four point favorite. And then by kickoff, Miami was like a five-point favorite. I mean, that I was. It, it seems like that's kind of the swing. But I'm also going with the Orange. I love me some Dino Babers. He's one of my favorite coaches in the league. Um, I'm not really confident in his team, but I like me some Dino, so I'm going with the Orange. You know what, boys? Screw it. Joshy Jack. Oh. He, is mm. he lost his job because he got hurt to a guy that ended up finishing with the worst record in the history of the program since 1992. <laughs> what a major qualifying statement there at the end, Andrew. <laughs> the Redskins are one of five teams to have won seven games in the last five years. Ryan Willits is better than Josh Jackson at me. All right. Regardless, I kind of agree, but Josh is pissed. He beat West Virginia. He won seven games and then got waxed in the Camping World Bowl, and he's here with vengeance. 
I'll take Maryland at home in front of 15 people. They'll be good. <laughs> go. That's my bold move of the day. I'm feeling feeling excited. That's because you went to champs twice in the last like four hours. <laughs> you guys really be proud of me for holding it together as well as I have. Yes, you're, um, you're doing an excellent job, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, I have to go back to my scoreboard because I just did some research on how good Howard was before I made that. <laughs> uh, come on, man! You're supposed to come with the research ahead of time, not doing your research on the pod. I didn't. I I did a good amount of research today. I did not come in anticipating to take Maryland. <laughs> it's like drunk calling your ex girlfriend, man. Oh um, man. I did not go out planning to drunk call my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and I owed Greyhound. Uh, we have Greyhound. officially gone off the rails for the first time in pod history. This is perfect, excellent. Perfect. Uh, one criticism we got is we need to show more personality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. <laughs> back to it. Back to it. Before this shit runs for an hour. Um, <laughs> There's another bleep. <laughs> um. None of this is getting edited out. This is all staying in it every single second. <laughs> Georgia Tech at home, South Florida. South Florida, Blake Barnett. Remember, the former Alabama number one overall recruit. As many of these Alabama number one overall recruits work, they don't. Uh, Georgia Tech's a six-point favorite at home. Will what's-his-face from Temple get his first career win at Georgia Tech? Grant, something. Jeff Collins. Um, Jeff Collins. Greg, I was close. Close. <laughs> close. 1.50 in the morning. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah it's almost 2 a.m. And they both begin with the letter G. Close enough. Um, <laughs> Georgia Tech. Dude, we need to do more late pop recording. This is excellent, this is excellent material. And look, I'll do anything. Yeah, I mean, even um, if and even if our don't even if our fans don't like it and they want something quote unquote uh, less personal and more professional, like get off my lawn. Um, if you if, if they're still listening this far in, they probably yes, yeah, dude. I'm out of rum. This is a problem. I need some more. <laughs> we might be here a little while longer, so. <laughs> Um, okay, all right, Georgia come Tech. on, let's go back. <laughs> all right, we all pick a Georgia Tech or what? Anyone, anyone to post? I, I got Georgia Tech here. Yeah, Georgia Tech wins and covers, I think. But um, I'm not sure South Florida is quite as bad as they showed against Wisconsin. Then again, maybe they are. So we'll find out. Maybe they are. Maybe Wisconsin's good. I'm Wisconsin. Uh, all right, the big one. Clemson hosts Texas A&M. Clemson's 17.5-point favorites at home. Some Texas A&M dude did exactly what the SID told them not to do and guaranteed victory. <laughs> We're not worried about them winning. We're worried about them covering 17 and a half points. Do you think they can do it, Mike? I do. Yeah, I think I think they can cover 17 and a half. With that being said, if Trevor Lawrence has a revenge game where like he plays a lot better than he did against Georgia Tech, which, by the way, he didn't play very well. Um, he, I'm expecting him to have a bounce-back game, um, but I think Texas A&M is good enough to keep it within – you know, whatever it is, like two and a half scores. Um, you know, it is on the road at Clemson. I get that. But, you know, Kellen Mond had a pretty impressive debut, um, you know, for the season last week. Um, granted, it was against Texas State, so take that with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, I like the chances of Kellen Mond and Texas A&M keeping it within three scores and, and covering the spread. It might not be by much, but I think they will cover 17 and a half. I concur. Ricky, do you disagree? 
Uh, first, I'm going to take Georgia Tech because you didn't ask me. Thanks, buddy. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm uh, I'm taking Clemson. Uh, good teams cover the spread. Clemson's maybe the best team in, in, in all the college football. They're going to continue their inevitable march toward the college football playoff and probably the national championship game. I think they're going to put Texas A&M in their place, and Jimbo Fisher's going to lose yet again to Dabo Sweeney. Wait, did they cancel? I'm, I'm sorry. Sidebar. Quick sidebar. Did they move that football game between Boise State and Florida State because of the hurricane that wouldn't have hit until today? Yep. And it didn't hit? Correct. Yep. Oh. Yes. So, so college football teams are really bad with hurricanes. As <laughs> um, How the hell do we get back to that? Speaking <laughs> of Florida State, it's always a segue. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> Florida State at home, 21-point favorites over at the University of Louisiana at Monroe. The Warhawks. Go first, someone. <laughs> I got it. All right, I'll go. Oh, no, I got it. I'm, I'm taking charge, man. All right, look. Uh, Florida State completely pooped the bed versus Boise State. Uh, I think that they're demoralized. I think there are serious questions about Willie Taggart at, in Tallahassee. I'm going with UL Monroe to cover the spread. Wow. Okay. Bold. <laughs> Bold, baby. It's 1.53 a.m. I don't care. Let's do it. No wonder. Yeah. No, no wonder he wanted to go first. He wanted to make a bold statement. Makes a lot of sense yes. now. Um, yes. Florida State played very well in the first half against Boise, and then they didn't really come out of halftime. They just kind of stayed in the locker room. Um, Willie, Willie Tigers blamed me on dehydration, which is ironic because he was mad at Virginia Tech players saying they were faking injuries a year ago. So that's rich. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Yeah. College football coaches, they can find an excuse just about anywhere. Yeah. Um, look, I have a tough time finding excuses for a team that was able to score, what, what was it, like 31 points in the first half and what – I mean, they were struggling to, I, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they were struggling to find a first down in the second half. So um, <laughs> with that being said, I do think Florida State wins and covers. It might not be by a lot, but I do think they win and cover the spread against UL Monroe. Dehydration was the problem, according to Willie Taggart. And I look at the AccuWeather forecast. It'll be 5 p.m., but 99 and sunny at Dope Campbell Stadium. Give me the Warhawks. Um, yes, I've convinced someone. Let's do it. Hey, if I take a loss on that, so does Ricky. So it's only minus one against Mike. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, yes. Last one of the non-Virginia Tech ones. Uh, Miami visits North Carolina. North Carolina obviously coming off of a very – for most people, and to all of us who pick South Carolina, surprising uh, victory over the Gamecocks. They host Miami, who fell narrowly to the University of Florida. Miami, four-point favorites on the road at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. Who do you guys got? Ricky, you can go first. Uh, I, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going with North Carolina. Uh I think something's wrong with with the Canes, man. I, I think it's something deeper. I don't think it has anything really to do with the offensive line not being very good or or them, you know, kind of being thin at some spots. I think there's something really wrong with that program. I don't can't really put my finger on it, but I think Mac Brown has completely re-energized the, the Tar Heels. He's completely changed the culture, and it's crazy because he's like 62 years old, uh, maybe even older. I don't even know, uh, but he's he's connected with these guys on a level that Larry Fedora just flat out couldn't do it. So I'm going with the Tar Heels and true freshman, Sam Howell. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to pick North Carolina and, and stick with you on this one, Ricky, because North Carolina looks so good uh, against South Carolina last Saturday. But Jake Bentley was – South Carolina also sucks. Word, word to Will Muschamp. Right. So – and because of that, yes. And we know Ricky loves him some Will Muschamp. Um, that's clear. <laughs> All right, I'm going to grab another beer. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm taking I'm taking Miami here. Um, Miami's a team that you know, when looking at the Hurricanes, they, you know, they played well against Florida. I thought, um, you know, I think they found something at quarterback with Jaron Williams. Um, you know, I think he played well enough in the opener against a pass rush that's far better than North Carolina's. I don't think Miami's offensive line will necessarily have the issues that they had against Florida in this game against North Carolina. Um, I think Miami wins and covers here. I think the spread is too low. I think people are overreacting a bit to North Carolina's win over South Carolina. Um, I do think the heels will keep it close early, but I think in the second half, when you look at, you know, Miami's athletes, I think they have an opportunity to really take things to a next level in the second half and pull away from North Carolina. So long winded answer there, but I like Miami big. Yeah. I didn't know you were joking about the beer. Uh, I just went and grabbed a shot. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Miami because I just don't see a world where Bryce Watts can guard that talent on the outside. That just seems like exposure waiting to happen. I'll take the Canes, but I like to believe you're right, Ricky. But I will say everyone knows within the program that for some reason, Justin Butte, maybe it's recruiting within North Carolina. He really doesn't like him. So. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Now, I will say this. I do think that Fuente doesn't really have as big of an issue with UNC now that Larry Fedora is gone. I have a feeling that that's where most of the issue was. I can't, I have no, no knowledge of that. I just have a hunch. Yeah, it seems like a, based on everything that the public knows about Larry Fedora, that seems like a reasonable hunch. It kind of seems like the polar opposite of the Justin Fuente moral standard, but um, (laughs) whatever that moral standard is, I don't know. But uh, if it's any moral standard, he's probably above Larry Fedora. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's a safe bet, Mike. Go ahead and take that to Vegas. I'll take it to Vegas. The last one, boys. (laughs) have been taken to Vegas before. (laughs) Virginia Tech is a 28-and-a-half-point favorite over Old Dominion. Same as last year, if you didn't get the previous joke. Oh, boy. Everyone good with that? Or what's the I joke? like Virginia Tech huge in this game. Look, yeah. Famous last words. We all said it last year. We all thought it last year. I really do think it'll be different. I think there were signs of improvement in the opener against Boston College. As ugly as it was with the turnovers, there were things that – we're encouraging about the performance from Virginia Tech too, like the defense that we mentioned playing well in the second half, like the offense when Ryan Willis wasn't giving it to the other team, they were able to move the football effectively. The running game showed flashes at times. Keyshawn King was, was a nice addition as well. Look, I think Virginia Tech is a team that, you know, will not take ODU lightly. I think they did that a year ago and fell into that trap. This is a game that's been circled. Chris Cunningham, Eric Kuma being game captains gives the Hokies unnecessary bulletin board material. Um, They already, you know, put high importance on this football game. I I think that that only amplifies it. Justin Fuente is going to make sure they're focused. Plus, it's the home opener. Tech didn't play well at Lane Stadium last year at all throughout the year. And I think that they want to make a statement this year and ensure that 
you know, their home record goes a lot better than it did a year ago and they make a statement and play well at home. I think this is a great time to do it in the home opener. Virginia Tech by a lot. I'm, I'm saying 52 to 10, maybe 52 to 13. I'm not sure ODU scores that many points. I think Virginia Tech will make a statement and blow them out. Ricky. Virginia Tech covering the spread, and I'm going to leave it at that. That's all I got. All right. I'll take Virginia Tech to cover the spread. I want a score prediction, though. Both. Oh, well, I guess Mike already gave you 52 to 10. Uh, man. Um, let's go with uh, 42 to 13. Mike, did you give Yeah, one? 52. I think the 52 to 10, 52 to 13 range. I, I'm just – I'm not sure ODU scores more than a touchdown. I know we covered that in the over-under earlier. I just don't see it, so – yeah, I'm right there with you guys, like 44 to 7, something like that. Give the kid an opportunity to kick a couple field goals. I actually, no joke, in all seriousness, I do want to see Brian Johnson kick some field goals because I have serious questions about his accuracy. Meanwhile, the kid Stout goes out and wins Big Ten Kicker of the Week first week. Shout out to him, Southwest Virginia kid. We're, right, we're happy for him. But Brian Johnson's got to go prove himself now, make, make it look like he was worth uh, keeping that starting job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they say lightning doesn't strike twice, and I don't know anyone could possibly know that. It's not like everyone's seen the same lightning. For like <laughs> <laughs> but, it's but, 2 a.m. and we're talking about lightning patterns. What the, where the hell did we go wrong, man? Good yes, Lord. Okay. I think it's time to wrap this baby up. We're at like We're at like six hours long for the podcast, and we're talking about lightning and – Andrew just grabbed a shot. I'm talking about grabbing a beer. I was sipping a, out of rum out of a cookout cup earlier. Yeah, that's the only way to sip rum. This but is the officially the hokey hangover. Yeah, this is officially the hokey hangover podcast. And if you're enjoying this, please subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at hokey hangover. That's Hokey Hangover, like the same name as the podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, I'm, you probably went to Virginia Tech, or at a minimum, know some people who like Virginia Tech. So tell them. And if you don't have any friends, DM Mike or Ricky. I'm sure they'll like you. Um, but yes, for Michael McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, I am Andrew Alex. You are listening to the Hokey Hangover podcast. We'll catch you next week to give you all the most intricate details we can about Virginia Tech's impending matchup with the Furman Paladins. But until then, go Hokies, and we'll see you Saturday at Lane Stadium.